Well, I know what day it is. My team, the San Francisco Chiefs, are going to pull this thing out. Could be happier. And um, so, yeah. Okay. I, so, I wanted to say, so you guys know, obviously I don't have the chairs up here. And uh, uh, I know, and and I felt um, a little bit of angst over that. But I want to go somewhere today that's related to the whole faith thing. So we're talking about, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, I've been talking about faith and I had a couple of props up here that if for no one else that made it easier for me to be able to understand what I was talking about. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it's not just a job, it's an adventure. So, um, <clears throat> so today I, uh, I was noticing as, uh, as I was preparing, even last week or two weeks ago, um, that I was, I was being pulled, if you would, to look at Jesus again. And uh, how many know that's, that's not a bad thing? And, uh, and so that's where I want to go. And, and if you think about it, the, my faith grows as I see more of him. And so this, this whole topic of faith, I'm finding, we we're finding out that the key to faith is actually seeing who he is. Understanding what he's done. I can't do anything on my own. It's all, it's all done through him. So the more that I see him, the less I take my eyes off of this and put it on him. And that, that, that transference or that focus of who I'm looking at makes all the difference in the world. If you're looking at yourself, God bless you. You're not going to get off the ground. I won't get off the ground. It's only by looking at him and what he's done and what he's accomplished for me and understand. And I put my faith in that. I put my faith in him. And that's when the magic happens. Even though we don't believe in magic. So. So, sorry. Squirrel. Um. If you have your Bible, so this is what I have to do. This is why I I need to do this. In order to get us all on the same page, I need to go back and extract a couple of verses from what that we've looked at before. But I've got to tell you, my fear, I have great fear and concern over this. And the fear is as soon as you all lay eyes or as soon as we lay eyes on these verses that we've talked about before, our brain screensaver is going to go... And the screensaver is usually in, engaged when we say to ourselves, oh, I already know this, or I've seen this before. So, can I tell you something funny that's going through my head? As I said that, I realized some of you didn't hear me. As I said that, I realized some of you, didn't. It's, it's okay, it's all right. <clears throat> But I'm saying this so that we'll all, so the way that you counter this screensaver thing, it's, it's built into all of us. It's a natural, it's a scientifically proven fact. The fact is, is that our brain consumes 25% of the calories that we burn during the day. So it's working. And, and in order to, to, 
to rest, there's a screensaver that goes up. It's, it's a natural thing. When we hear something that we've already heard before or we see something that we've already seen before, the screensaver goes, and it causes our brain to go, okay, I don't, I don't have to gather new information. I already know this. Yikes. And that in itself is the downfall, if you would, of the Greek mind church. We think we have it because we know it. We say, ooh. No, this is the kingdom's meant to be experienced. So, okay. So, for the sake of reference, just humor me. This verse, Acts 5.20, let me do this. I probably want to pray. (laughs) Father, help me. Help us. Help me speak. Help us listen. Preferably in that order. And so, Lord, I ask, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen by the end of this message. You are going to be getting, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to connect scriptural dots for you that you're like, oh my gosh, I, this is incredible. So pay attention to what he's saying. He's saying it to you. So, Lord, I ask that as we lift up Jesus, that you would draw all men, all people to you. And Lord, we pray, we ask that in our lifetime, we would see everything that Jesus paid for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a few months ago, it's been 20-something weeks, that the Lord highlighted this verse, and uh, the the message here says, uh, or the verse says, go stand, it's an angel that's directing his attention, or he's directing this message to Peter, says, go stand in the temple and speak the whole message of this life. And what we've talked about, again, this, this verse continues to unpack. If you think, or if I think, I understand the whole message of this life, <clears throat> let me just tell you, right now in heaven, the angels are getting a glimpse of who he is, and they're coming up, and all they can say is holy. And then they go back down, they dive back down, and they get another glimpse of who he is, and they come back up, and all they can say is holy. So they haven't gotten off of the holiness part of who he is yet. And so the fact that we think that we, I think that maybe I have the whole message of this life, (laughs) sad. So the whole message of this life. So this is, this is what I'm pulling from to let you know this is where I'm going. So I have to cover this one and the next verse in order to get to where I'm wanting to go. The next verse is in Exodus, and it's 25:22, where God did this miraculous thing. He delivers a whole nation in one day. There were all sorts of plagues and stuff that happened for him to, to, break, for him to break his people free from the grip of the bondage that, 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 that they're in the spiritual world and in the physical world with the Egyptians, but he did it. And he leads them out. They go through the wilderness. They go through the, wilderness, they go through the Red Sea. They, they get out to where they're supposed to be. And God says, I want you to build me a place. We'll call it a tent to where I can meet with you. And so he gives these instructions to Moses. Moses takes them down and he begins it and these guys start building. And then he says, well, I'll meet with you there, but that's not where I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to meet with you at this place called the atonement cover. And it's, it's a little altar light thing that's 45 inches by 27 inches, 45 inches long by 27 inches wide. And you're, you're, so you're, you're like, okay, <clears throat> um, I, I don't understand this. 
So God, you are super, super huge, super big. Actually, you own the earth. You, you own everything. Why can't I just meet with you in China or meet with you in my room? Or I don't understand why, why do I have to meet with you here? And the here that he's talking about is the place where there was a sacrifice that was made. And in this, because of the estrangement of mankind and God, and God and mankind, there had to be a place of a sacrifice where there was a substitution for the, uh, there's a substitution that happened in that an innocent life was substituted for a guilty life. And so God was saying, because of this estrangement that we have, the only place that we can meet is actually here. But when you, I will meet you here. And from here, I will give you my instructions and I will give you my directions from here, from this place. And it's like, huh. And so we realized that, so we we talked about this place called the atonement cover was a place where we go to meet God, right? We find out also it's a place where he comes to meet us. Because of this verse, it's Psalms 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. His throne sits on righteousness and justice, the upholding of of his kingdom and the administration of the punishment, so to speak. He's a just God. And so for him to, uh, for him to, in a way he's bound by this. He can't break free from his own government. His own government won't allow him to touch, just touch us, so to speak. So he had to come through a vehicle. The vehicle, if you would, was the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins. So he can't walk with us in communion unless there's a way for him to get to us and he could get to us through the sacrifice, through the blood. That's how he gets to us. So... We know that the place where he's talking about the there in the Old Testament is a person in the New Testament. The there in the Old Testament is actually Jesus in the New Testament. So in essence, he is saying, I can meet with you through my son. I will talk to you through my son. From the place where my son is, I'll be able to give you directions. I'll be able to instruct you. In my son we will have communion, right? So <clears throat> having said that, the, this, this verse continues to unpack. Basically what he's saying is, is that Jesus is God's gift to humanity. Without Jesus, there would be no connection. We would still be in utter hopeless Darkness. I'm not talking about just physical darkness. I'm talking about just the, the, the outlook on life, the curse that we would be under, the sickness that would be under, the sin, the deprivation, the lack of life that we would be, we would, we would all be eating dirt, mud. You know, it's just, it's like, oh. But scripture says that he transferred us from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of the love of his son. And he did that through what Jesus did. So, where I am wanting to go, uh, here's the other thing. 
the thing that Jesus did actually appeased the wrath of God. So when you think about it, and I'm trying not to get pulled out. I'm trying actually to stay on course because I need to go see if the San Francisco Chiefs are going to win today. (laughs) But... Help me. Anyway, this is huge. This is profound. This is, I'm just, all I'm doing is scratching the surface. There's no dust coming off of what I'm scratching right now. There's not even enough dust for us to even go, oh, wow, that was a great message. Or, or I've got this. No, 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 no. This is profound in what we're talking about. Okay, so here's the thing. Jesus assumed our guilt. He assumed, he took my punishment, your punishment. He took the punishment that would actually get us back into good standing with God. There's not another religion out there that's like that. But what did your God do? Well, my God sits up there and I've got to, you know, make penance. I mean, it's, I'm paying this, I'm paying this. I've got, I haven't done this, I haven't done this. It's like, what did your God do? My God came down and took all the guilt that I've committed and totally took upon himself my shame and everything, removed the curse, removed the sickness, and he took that for me, and, uh, and that's it. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's it. And now you have right standing with, I have right standing with God. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's one of the reasons why at the end of the age, everyone who sees him will drop like off come the crowns, off come everything, everything, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he, he is Lord. I'm only here because of him. That's it. So, okay. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter one. So what I'm talking about right now is a backdrop to where we're going. So turn to Genesis chapter one. I've got to stop here and show us. I want to. I want to show you something. I want to. Uh, I'm going to land on verse 26. And just so you know, Genesis chapter one is about creation. creation. Yep. So God is in the midst of creating, and look at this in verse 26. It says then God said. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the $64 question is, is who's us? Who's us? It's God. That's the Trinity. God. Let us make man in our image. What that tells me is, is, and I'm just imagining, so humor me. Ha ha. Is apparently the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy, they're, they're having a, they're, they're talking. And I like to imagine it like this. So there's this thought that they had, we want to make, we want to make man. Well, what do we want him to look like? Because up until then, we were a blank slate. I had no face. You had no, anyway, that's enough. <laughs> so I'm imagining, do we want him to look like a, well, we created these trees. No, I don't want him to look like a tree. Or an animal, no, I don't want him to look like an animal. Hey, I've got this idea. Why don't we create man in our image, in our likeness? That's a great idea. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, he created them. So God created mankind in his image. He dropped, he, 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 he deposited into man and into, fem- and into a, a woman, male and female, he dropped part of who he is. There's part of, part of God in a man and there's part of God in a woman. He created them. So, so we've established that these verses point to a conversation with the Godhead concerning man. What he wants to look like and all that sort of stuff. There is another verse where there was a conversation apparently about mankind. Some of us, you may have read it, you may not have read it. If you don't like the book of Revelation, you've probably not read it. Because it's in the book of Revelation. It's found in Revelation 13, verse 8. I'll hold out as long as you do. Revelation 13, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, that's a hint for, look at it. I want you to see it. Revelation 13, verse 8. No shame, just encouragement. It says this, there's a statement that says, the lamb whose death was planned before the world was created. Some of you says, the translation say, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Or the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. So Jeff, why are you bringing this up? Apparently, there was another conversation concerning man. In the conversation as to what they were wanting to look like, again, I'm imagining there's another conversation. Say, huh. So we're going to make man according to our image. He's not going to be, as scriptures say, as high as the angels are. It'll be just, just under the angels, and there's this whole thing that's happened in, in heaven beforehand where there's this great rebellion and now there's this sin issue is now roaming throughout uh, the, the earth. And they're looking and they're like, oh, wow. As weak as man is, sometime in the near future, once we create man, he's going to fall. What do we do about that? And when he falls, he doesn't understand what he's doing But the result is going to be this eternal separation between us and man. The very very creation that we're wanting to have relationship with. We're going to be estranged. They don't know what they're doing. Not only does he not know what he's doing, but he's going to, in, in that decision that he makes, he's going to come under a curse. He's going to come under sickness. All of these things of everything, everything's going to switch do we leave him in that state? God says, no, I've got a plan. The plan that I have is that the three of them are talking. Son, humor me. Would you go, would you take the form of those people? Empty yourself of all of your privileges. Take the form of them. Live a life as a man, fulfilling the law that I have set out. So far, no one can do it. And would you, would you think about, would you be the substitutionary sacrifice 
that it will appease my wrath. And the son said, I will. So what does this verse tell us? It tells us it was always in the will of God to redeem mankind. If he went that far back, there's no place you can go where he won't find you. It was always in the plan. Before you even hit this earth, it was always in the plan of God to redeem. The second thing that it says is that it was always God's will to share his glory with men and women and to live in communion with them. It was always his plan. Some of you that are struggling with poor self-esteem, lean into this one. It's not what you, you can't do something. You can't push him away. It was, an, it was when he made you, he had this plan that the blueprint of your life would be congruent to the blueprint, blueprint of his plan of redemption. And the two are married, it's, it's joined. So today, what I wanna do, I want you to consider a question. Answer this question. So in, in Matthew what was that, Richard? Eight, five, five, seventeen. Jesus says this: Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Okay. So, I'm going to ask you a question with that statement. When? When did he fulfill? Let me tell you where, where, where most of you are going to go. But I'm, I'm, I'm doing this on, on purpose because I want to separate something. When, most of us would say it was when he was crucified, right? And absolutely right. But I'm being a little bit tricky here because it's not all. The place where he was crucified has to do with an act. But we're going to look at something. There's another piece that Jesus came to fulfill and he fulfilled it through his life. Okay, I'm gonna, bring, I'm gonna talk about this in just, in, a, in just a second. Okay, turn to Matthew 20, 28. Did I tell you that? Matthew 20, 28. Matthew 20, 28 <clears throat> says this. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Welcome, today is Volunteer Sunday. It's a joke. I'm totally, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Can I just tell you, in reading that, I'm going to tell you how my mind actually interprets this verse. My mind interprets this verse, verse to read like this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his body a ransom for many. You say, Jeff, yep, but he did. Yep, but that's not what he said. So don't stay open right now. Listen to me. When I read this verse and I interpret it as his body, I immediately get into the mindset that what happened with Jesus as it pertains to my redemption 
is actually associated with an act. There's truth in that. So let me just tell you right now, I'm not saying either or. This is not an either or thing. This is a both and message. So I associate it with an act. And that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot more that has to do with his life that we're going to look at in just a second. So when I think of the act of redemption, I'm thinking of the act, the, the crucifixion. I'm thinking about the punishment. I'm thinking about the scourging. I'm thinking about uh, the whips. I'm thinking about uh, the crown. All, all of this, that was the act. And yet he says that the son of man came, did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he says. Now, let me go back to this real quick. The, the point that I want to draw out is that this is normal for us to think this way as an act. However, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers, when they were speaking of redemption, they, they weren't focused so much on the act as they were the cost. When they talked about redemption, the Hebrew writers all knew that whoever was writing was talking about the cost side of redemption, not so much as the act side of redemption. Stay with me, okay? Neither one of them is wrong. This this, this, this is just going to expand the horizon. It's just going to take another facet of who Jesus is and turn it and go, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So the other thing that we need to understand as readers, as readers in this postmodern or in this, this modern age that's, you know, we're in AD what? 20 something hundred, anyway. It's been 2,000 years. If we don't understand how the Old Testament writers wrote concerning redemption, we're going to stay locked in to it only being about an act. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like, well, Jesus was born. Uh, next thing you know, he's 12 years old. Next thing you know, he's 30. Uh, next thing you know, he healed some people, walked on the water, did some stuff. Next thing you know, he got laid out, and there it is right there. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. There's so much that happened right here. That has everything to do with there. That's what we're, everything to do with there. So, and if we don't understand this, our understanding of redemption will be stunted. If we only make it about the act and not about seeing the redemption as part of his life. Okay. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It is, what he is talking about is it was the life that he lived day to day. The life that he lived, this life that he lived was in complete and utter dependence and obedience to God. Everything that he did, everything that he thought, everything was, un, it was in this line, this vein of complete obedience to God. Complete obedience. We're going to see why that's so important. That right there is so important. The, the thing that, 
I don't have enough time to unpack here is right now that we, when we think about Jesus, there's two schools of thought. He's the son of man, was just like us. He, and he, he uh, you know, modeled what it's like to be a Christian. Uh, he emptied himself of, of, of his uh, uh, godly attributes. Or for some people, it's like, well, that sounds like heresy. No, he's a son of God. And the son of God, he can do whatever. You know, he was actually both. And so I might have just opened up a door I can't shut. <laughs> so the life which he has come to give in redemption or in ransom for the many, the life that he's come to give is actually the cost. The life that he's come to give, we're gonna, I'm gonna hit this point over, the life that he came to give is actually the cost. Here's the act. Here's the cost. What we're gonna see is the price that he paid by living his life is actually what redeemed us. Okay. The fact that his life comes to a completion in his sacrifice on the cross is significant. But the significance of that rests in his life that he lived. Again, in sinless obedience to his father. And he did this in the midst of fallen humanity. First Timothy, turn to First Timothy chapter two, five and six. Paul talks about this. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God in humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Again, we read this. He gave his life. We immediately equate it to, he gave his body. He did. He did give his body. But if we only look at it as an act, we totally miss the the, the, the the inference that, that Paul is making here. No, it was the life that he lived. He gave his life. We think, oh, it was the act to purchase freedom. No, no, no. It was the way he lived his life. The life, the, the life poured out for you and me. This was the currency that, that was used to pay the price for you and me. The way that he lived his life. Look at um, Matthew 8, uh, 8, 17, 16 and 17. Uh, <clears throat> When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. What's that pointing to? It's pointing to his life. When was, were the scriptures fulfilled? In his death or in his life? actually both. But in our evangelical upbringing and understanding, there's only a focus here. And the the message, the whole message of this life is getting lost. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says this. 
He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. He didn't just give his body. He gave his life. It was the life that he gave, his life, the way that he lived his life. And what this is saying, the death of Jesus cannot be isolated from his life. Right now, the death of Jesus and his life are totally isolated. It's like, no, he was on a course. From the minute he, his foot touched the earth, he was on a course. Living his life. As he lived his life, he was purchasing, if you would, like it talks about right there in Matthew. It's like when he's healing people, as a son of God, he's healing people. We've, we've talked about this before. As a son of God, he can heal anybody because he's sovereign. But it says that he took our infirmities. That means that the son of man part of him, when he was healing people, he's like, I'll take this. I'll take the blindness. I'll take the cancer. I'll take the deafness. I'll take this. Putting it on him. What's he doing? He's living his life. The life that was being poured out. It's the whole message of this life. Matthew, this is, this, is, this is a, I'm gonna bring this up. In Matthew 4, Matthew 4, the beginning of Matthew 4, it's about the temptation of Jesus. And it's, it's one of these things where you're like, devil, like what, what was your angle? I, like, hey, um, you know, um, you hungry? Fix you something to eat. And, um, and so, but this one, uh, uh, particularly, the devil takes him to, up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And it's like, what, what are your, what's, why to go to all that trouble? You know, he's not going to do it, but what, what was your angle? What were you trying to, to get at? Can I just tell you, if you're in the act mentality, which it has to do with the punishment, the crucifixion, the, the, all of that, we would interpret, oh, what he's meaning there is, is that Jesus, he's tempting Jesus to bypass the cross. And in bypassing the cross, he wouldn't have to suffer. Right? That's an act mentality. But it's when you hold that up, hold this up against what is at risk over here on the life side. We just read that the life of Jesus actually purchased our freedom. What the devil was tempting him that if Jesus stepped out of living his life, mankind, humanity would never be ransomed. He chose to live his life because living his life, the life that he lived was actually the purchase for our freedom. Today is communion Sunday and um, we're gonna take communion in just a second. But before we do this, I wanna read in Luke 22. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is referring to something. He's actually now referring to the act. 
He's about to give his body to be crucified. He's talking about the act of redemption. It's my body, which is given for you. The next verse. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now he's talking about the life. His life, the life that he lived, poured out for you. So it was his life and death that he brought before God as a covenant sacrifice for the remission of sins. Yeah. It was his whole life that he poured out in compassion and mercy, giving it in exchange for the ransom of the many. Both. So I'd like for us to, uh, I want us to take communion together and I want to give you some instructions. So if the ushers, if you guys could come on up and uh, begin handing out, passing out the elements. When you receive the elements, if you would, would you please hold those? Because I want us to do something together at the end of, of, of this message. This is one of those messages that you realize probably speak it 50 times and only then would you begin to even have a grasp of the magnitude of what we're talking about here. So I realize that don't just let the word, let the truth of what's being said, let the truth of scriptures that's being spoken go deep into the recesses of your heart. It's the seed. The word of God is a seed. We know that the seed has the power to work out its own fruit, but allow the seed to go into the recesses. Don't, don't try to, don't, don't get tired on me and go, oh, I, uh, this is too much. I can't, Just hold on, hold, hold it open. So I'm gonna read a uh, familiar passage of scripture. There we go. Awesome. Wow. First Corinthians 11. Very, very, very familiar passage of scripture. Paul says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Now I want you to hold on to your elements because typically we hear these certain phrases, the body, we all start taking, it's automatic. I want you to hold it. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, 
saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Then he says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing or proclaiming the Lord's death until his comes, until he comes. Now, every time I read this, I was like, I, that, that sounds like a riddle to me. I don't like who proclaiming the Lord's death. What? One question is to who? Two is, uh, why is that so important? This is why this is so important. His death actually initiated, set into motion, inaugurated the new covenant. His death set it into, set it into motion. It inaugurated the new covenant, the new covenant that we are a part of. Every time that we are taking communion, we are proclaiming his death. As we proclaim his death, we are also announcing we are under a new covenant. This new covenant now causes me to be at peace with God and for God to be at peace with me based on what I'm holding right now. It also has enabled me and you to become children of God. So the proclamation that we are making, I think, is directly associated with Ephesians 3.10, where it's God's manifold wisdom for the church to announce to the powers and authorities what, what he's designed to do. I'll just read this. Shoot. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known now through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. When you and I are taking communion, we are basically making a proclamation, a proclamation of we are participants of the new covenant. Here is the proof. The body that was broken, the blood that was shed, we are saying because of these, we are now the children of God. You are now the children of God. So what I would like for us to do is everyone hold this up. Hold up the elements, if you would. And we just say, we proclaim his death. We proclaim his death. Yes. So, Lord, we just say, Father, Abba. I'll, I'll, I'll pray now. Sorry. I, I realized I wasn't clear. No, no, no. You're not doing it wrong. You can do it. I, but I realized I wasn't clear. The conversation that happened, the redemption plan that you had planned before the world even began, before it was recreated, we are now participants of that plan. Because of the body, because of the blood. And Lord, everything that Jesus paid for, everything that this represents in heaven and on earth, the body, everything it represents in heaven and on earth, and everything that the blood represents in heaven and on earth, Lord, we take into our bodies now. And I pray 
that the, the, the breakthrough, the deliverance, the healing, everything that he paid for, Father, would be ours. We receive it now by faith in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your life that you lived was just as important as the death that you died. And it's actually because of the two of those that we now have redemption. It was the life that he lived. You don't hear anything else. It's the life that he lived that bought your ransom. That was the payment. I'm not discounting anything. I'm not discounting the act. Oh, good Lord, I'm not discounting the act. I'm telling you, the life that he lived was the payment for your ransom. And for that, Lord, for that, we are forever grateful. For that, Lord, that's where we worship you. We worship you, oh God. There is no one like you. Jesus, there's no one like you. There is no one beside you. There's no one could even compare. Look to the north, the south, the east. There is nothing, nothing up there. It is all you and only you. And this one that we're talking to upholds all things by the word of his power. The breath you took, that's all him. The heartbeat that you're having, right? it's all him. He's upholding you. Not only did he speak or us into creation, he's also upholding his creation by the word of his power. Amen. So Lord, for from him and through him and to him are all things. We give you praise. We give you honor. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.